And I think all, by the way, all three of these are around Jesus, the radar topics. Justin Hire. We, we can discuss. We can. You've done we that can, like every single time for the last it's five weeks. Thing. You can see Trevor getting excited and ready to go, and you just blow it. <laughs> Got to keep him on his toes. I can't even see you toes. too. I, I I put the notes in front of you guys' faces, so I don't see when you're about to start yapping. Maybe we'll keep this in. Maybe, you know, this is how we're going to intro this episode now. I'm it's okay gonna with be, that. It's going to be Nick going, Jesus, Justin. That's how we're going to start this one. So on that note, bonjour, hello, and happy Monday, everybody. And I just want to give us all a self-congratulatory congratulations for our 10th episode. Um, Maybe not a big deal to you guys, but a very big deal to us. So golf clap, please, if you can hear silently. Uh, Super excited to be with you on this Monday morning. And what's also like sort of double exciting is there's some actual NFL news to talk about in what is the end of May. Uh, So big stuff. We're going to take our quick weekly trip around the gridiron. We're going to talk about Joe Flacco going to the Jets, Carlos Hyde going to the Seahawks, and some really interesting proposed NFL rule changes. I know Nick is very excited about those and making his confused face, which As always freaks me out. Always freaks me out. Exactly. Wait. I don't know if... Wait, my confused face freaks no, you out or this, my excitement this freaks is, out? I can't even get through the full read-through because I look at Nick on Zoom and I see... I know he's trying to read and he's got to like really squint, but he makes this face that makes it seem... Like, he's angry with what I'm saying, and I'm just introing, so it can't be that, and then I get all confused. But anyway, we're going to then get into our Divisional Breakdown series. We're in week four of that. We're talking about the NFC North. We're going to do our projected starting lineups. Uh, We're going to talk about notable additions, notable losses, and then, of course, uh, our rankings for the teams i don't even know if we're doing starting just i think that's from that's from something else no that's for that's for research that's for research purposes uh, we put some of the projected God, we justin, can discuss them this justin week that could be it. an extra oh no nfc north little why would you tidbit. why would you give all of our secrets no, away? i don't think i will be doing any starting lineup but if you two you can feel free to do that um let's start right off the bat you know before we get to joe flacco i just have a quick question for you guys we were just sort of talking about this in the pre-show and i'm just curious what your favorite coaching soundbite is we all know mine is you play to win the game that's my favorite boys just just right off the bat what's your favorite soundbite from a coach so it's either i can't think of his name i he's blanking he's blanking or i'm blanking he's not blanking i don't know what he's doing i'm blanking uh, on his name is the guy who coached the arizona cardinals like a decade or so ago and he just lost it but since i don't know that i'm gonna say anytime bill belichick speaks always cracks me up that, those are always my favorite sound bites because it's always like, yeah, you know, we tried our best to win the game and, you know, the other guys didn't. So, football. Mine's mine's Love always it. been Jim Mora's playoffs. Talking about playoffs. That's that's always been mine. That's my that's my uh, my uh, try to imitation of it as well. Yes. I'm going back. I'm going back looking at Cardinals head coaches now, trying to find. Is it in the past ten years? Wizenhunt, Dennis Green. Dave McGinnis. Dennis, Dennis Green. Green. Dennis Green. That's okay. who it is. Dennis. Yep. You old boy, you, Dennis. Denny, Denny G. <laughs> who, who, did, who did, like, nothing after that. He he coached the California Redwoods after Cardinals, and then after that, since then, has done nothing. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Time out. What, what in God's name is a California Redwood? And obviously, I know they're trees, Sounds so like don't give quidditch, me a sarcastic answer. An American professional yeah, football right? team in the United Football League. Wow. The UFL. Dennis uh, making those big bucks there. Which I don't think the is UFL. We're having is way too a, much fun. I don't think that's a thing. We're having thing. way too much fun with this podcast. we got to get into some real football news. Joe Flacco. Okay, let's talk Joe Flacco. Now, 
I have to say, from my own perspective, I actually liked Joe Flacco's last move. I thought that Joe Flacco still had something in the tank. I think it was to Denver was the last place he was. Um, and I was excited about that. Totally didn't pan. Now we have Joe Flacco going to the Jets. And Justin, I'm going to throw you under the bus here and say that about five minutes ago, Justin said something to the effect of the Jets now have a... wasn't dangerous, but it was No, a, I said like a pretty damn good quarterback room. A pretty damn good quarterback room, I, I, which I think... I think, think, pretty, I think that's... I think I think it's a bit too high praise from my perspective. So what do you guys think? I mean, he's, you're not paying him that much. It's like a million and a half dollars for a base salary, four and a half million maxed out. How do we feel about Flacco backing up Sam Darnold? Well, since you're trying to throw me under the bus there, I'll I'll go I'll I'll take that one first. The reason the reason I think the Jets have a solid quarterback room is because there's very high upside potential in Sam Darnold. Um, I mean, he's he certainly hasn't shown yet anything close to being the complete answer as a franchise quarterback, but over the second half of last year, uh, after his whole mono episode, uh, he played some decent football, and there's certainly still a high ceiling there. Whether or not Adam Gase, uh, you know, cuts that ceiling because of his incompetence as a head coach, you know, that that's a discussion. That's a totally separate discussion. But Sam Darnold, as a quarterback himself, I think has some high upside. Flacco, I think, is a really good, um, obviously, backup option, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, certainly one that is nowhere close to where he was in 2012 when he won that Super Bowl. Um, but I think as far as backups go, Flacco's pretty high up that ladder. Um, and then they still have some other developmental pieces. They drafted James Morgan in, in the fourth round of this draft. So overall, I think that's at most coaches would be very happy with that quarterback room. Um, obviously, Sam Darnold's uh, whether or not he could reach that upside is what's going to decide whether or not that quarterback room is ultimately successful. Yeah, that's why I, and I think what you literally just said is the most important part of what you've been saying for the last couple of minutes, right? It's that it's all if Darnold does well, then maybe that's a good quarterback room. So it's sort of look on paper and see, oh, yeah, that looks like a really great quarterback room now. I don't I don't agree at all. I mean, I listen, I think obviously Flacco needed to play somewhere. He's at this point in his career, he is a backup um, and they got him at a pretty decent price from what it seems like. Um Maybe he can teach Darnold a couple of things, but you know I'm I'm in the camp of always having thought that Flacco was a tiny bit overrated. Um, you know, listen until this until the Jets quarterbacks do something, I can't call him a good quarterback room. Darnold, you know, first of all, every time I remember that Darnold got mono, I laugh and I like I understand and I feel bad. I get that you can get, uh, like contract mono from a variety of different things, but let's be honest, every time someone's ever gotten mono in any of our lives. Mono. Right, exactly, exactly. So super funny when I think about it. But Darnold just hasn't he he had a good end of the year last year, right? I think they went seven and one down the stretch, so they had a good uh, run. But I do think I don't think this does anything to their quarterback room. I just think it brings in a guy who it's a it's a big name, but it doesn't do anything for him. I don't the think. Ste- wait, the seven the Steelers went seven and one down the stretch. I think you mixed. Mix those two, I, yeah. I, no, the, but the Jet, no, their offense was better than expected last uh, towards the second half of last year because their offense was atrocious uh, when Sam Donald wasn't on the field, um, and he, I mean, he he played good football. His stats still weren't phenomenal, but when you look at quarterback rating, or he he wasn't a franchise quarterback yet. That's what it was. Like when you're when you're looking at the second half of last season, Sam Donald certainly showed. Like if he plays that way this whole season, that's a pretty good season. He he had he had a really good second half uh, second half run last year. I, I just I don't know. I, honestly, I think Adam Gase, from what he's shown as a head coach, 
over his, course of, over his tenure with the Dolphins and now over his first year with the Jets, I don't know that he's able to craft an offense that's perfectly able to 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 maximize a quarterback's skill set. He had some solid years with Jay Cutler, and then he had Peyton Manning as his quarterback. So uh, I honestly think Adam Gase is the hang-up there and could be the reason Sam Darnold doesn't develop the way they want him to, especially because it doesn't seem like all the players like you know buy into Adam Gase either. So All I know is I want to see the Jets bring back Mark Buttfumble Sanchez, and he does a great job at ESPN, but I do miss seeing him in a Jets uniform. So that's, that's as a Dolphins bet. fan. I exactly. Agree. And you're right. I did mix up the Steelers thing. I was still, we talked Steelers last yeah, week. That was still on my mind for some yeah, reason. Yeah. So then we have Carlos Hyde going to the Seahawks. Now they offered him a one year, $4 million deal, which he obviously took. They also interestingly offered the same contract to free agent running back Devonta Freeman, um, but he declined on the basis of being willing to sit out the entire year because he wants to get more money. Um, so I guess this is a two-part question. On the one hand, how do we like the, the Carlos Hyde signing for the Seahawks? And number two, what do we think Freeman is worth, and what do we think he's going to get if he sits on the open market? So when it comes to the Hyde deal itself, I think it's fine. Um, I, I, You know, a one-year, $4 million deal, not a whole lot wrong with that. We'll see. You know, the Seahawks running backs seem to always get injured or have problems or uh, – We'll see what happens. You know, it's just another name to throw in that rotation. I think the bigger the bigger conversation is with the Devontae Freeman side of it. Um, because obviously he wants to get paid big bucks, but it doesn't seem like anyone's willing to pay him that kind of money. And, you know, every time I see that a, a player, any player, but a running back specifically, interested in missing an entire year just so they can get a little bit more money, I think to myself, have you, you know, I'm a history teacher. Have you looked at the history of how this works out? Right, Le'Veon Bell did that a couple years ago, and he ended up getting less money than he wanted. On what I would have argued is was a worse team than the Pittsburgh Steelers were. Right, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with that by just sitting sitting out and just assuming you're going to get the type of market that you want the following year. Right, because you have less tape now. Right, I, I I don't understand why I I understand it. I don't know why there are people that are telling him to that this is a good idea. Yeah, same thing with Melvin Gordon. He declined money, uh, a much better deal, thinking he would be able to get more money the following year, and it didn't happen. Um, so I, I don't, I certainly don't think it's a good idea for Devonta Freeman. And the players who have done it recently, at the very least, they had really good years the year before they sat out, and so they thought with this really good year, I should not be able to get my money. Freeman had a career low in pretty much every statistical category last year. I don't know why he thinks sitting out is suddenly going to make people forget that his last year sucked. He's 28, you know, obviously getting close to that 30 mark where running backs tend to decline. I have no idea why he wouldn't take that $4 million deal, especially like you said, uh, Trevor, or was it Nick, to play for a team that's that's a good team and, and you know, not be able to, to to capitalize on playing with a good roster with who has Russell, uh, you know, roster that has Russell Wilson at quarterback. In terms of the high deal, my opinion on it, just as a fantasy football player, I'm annoyed because that Seahawks backfield is already always a pain in the ass to try to, you know, discern who's going to start and who's going to get the most carries. So now you have Carlos Hyde mixing in there. Is Chris Carson going to get the carries? Uh, Rashad Penny might not even be healthy enough to take the carries. I think that's why they're signing Hyde to begin with. So I'm going to I'm gonna stay away from all Seahawks running backs as a fantasy football player, that's for sure. And I just want to highlight something that you said about Devontae Freeman going back to that because you're, you're we all know it, right? Around age 30, we see running backs generally start to decline unless you're Frank Gore, right? Or, or Adrian Peterson. Shout out to Adrian Peterson for all the things that he's done. Um, but Devontae Freeman, he, he ain't those guys, right? In my opinion, he's he's never been that type of... When Frank Gore and Peterson were in their prime, he's not that kind of guy. So we know he's approaching 30. 
I understand you want this is more than likely his last big deal, but you didn't do anything last year, and it's again it's different. Le'Veon had a had a much better pedigree going into his decision to sit out a year than you do, than Freeman does. So I just I don't get it. Take the one year deal, turn it into a three year monster deal next year, get your money, and then and then ride off into the sunset. Yeah, it also, it's interesting because Justin brought up this point about wanting to win and be on a winning squad. Like, you have a Seahawks team that has the potential to make it and win a Super Bowl. And when you're talking about, I mean, what are we talking about in terms of how much more he's going to be making? It's not going to be $12 million a year. Right. It's probably not going to be $8 million a year. So maybe it's $6 million a year. Maybe, if, if that happens. And now we get into the discussion of, well, he didn't even play that well last year. So I just, in my opinion, I don't really understand the thought process here. Um, I struggle to think that this is all about pride. I'd like to think that professional athletes... Um, have a little bit more that goes into their decision-making decision than that, but it's just odd. Um, something that isn't, or that, that's odd still, but is, I think, a little bit more exciting in terms of upside are these new NFL rule changes. Um, there's been a couple of things that have been proposed. The first um, is essentially changing the onside kick uh, rule, which would be taking a fourth and 15 on, what is it, like the 25, like your own 25-yard line? Your own 25, yep. And then the second proposed, uh, you know, change to the rules is adding two sky judges per game, which was actually done successfully in the XFL. But I want to, I want to step back to this fourth and fifteen. I know Nick, you know, feels really strongly about this. I think it's certainly very exciting. So what do we, what do we think of this in terms of a rule change? I love it. I love it because okay, so onside kicks, obviously, you know, they have such a low success rate, right? I don't remember the exact stat off the top of my head, but they they don't you don't convert onside kicks as often as you would like. Um, and I think this just gives a better opportunity to an offense who's come behind. And I think it adds a few, it adds more theatrics to the game, right? Because you're only really doing onside kicks when you need the ball back in order to drive and score and win a game, right? So it just adds another element of excitement. I think that the fourth and 15 is just going to be more exciting uh, from a fan perspective than the onside kick would be because when, when I watch football and a team goes to the onside kick, Nine times out of ten, I'm assuming that they're the 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 receiving team is going to get it, just because it, that's just how it ultimately works out, right? There's either a penalty they didn't kick it far enough, or it just goes right into one of the players' hands, right? So this is much more exciting, and since the NFL has made such a uh, a push to try and eliminate injuries, this is you know it's a little bit better, right? Because you know obviously kickoffs you have the two sides running at each other, it's not necessarily the same, but if if the receiving key, team catches one of these onside kicks, the 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 coverage unit is going to try and beat the hell out of them, so they drop it, right? So it gets a little bit more violent, right? So, you know, I, I think this is good because I think it adds more fireworks at the end of games, and it does help with player safety down the road. I love this rule proposal. I think it's I think it's fantastic because just as Nick said, you, there's more of a chance for the reason I like it so much is because generally when a team is drilling by two scores with three minutes left, it's like you, it's worth turning the game off at that point, right? It's like it's almost impossible for them to come back because once you score, the other team will probably kneel the ball out since these onside kicks. I think last year. It, it was like below five percent of onside kicks were, were yeah it was an extremely it, low number if it weren't for young way uh, the kicker for the falcons it would have been even i think he had like two or three successful attempts two in one game i think uh last year and so because of that it, it'll make the end of games that aren't so close much more exciting because there's a chance for teams to come back there are a couple caveats to this rule here one that they have since reversed in the proposal that that it will now be voted on before 
uh, I guess a couple weeks ago when it was first submitted by the Eagles, this proposal, the team had to be trailing to go for the 4th and 15. Um, not the case anymore. So now a team that's winning could do it. I'm not so sure how much of that we'll see since it's from your own 25-yard line. They also have a limit of two of these attempts per game. Um, but again, I don't think you'd see many teams doing more than two of them per game anyway, and I don't think you'll see uh, winning teams do it very often. But certainly interesting if you're a team like the Chiefs who has Mahomes and is that confident that you'd be able to convert. Maybe you'll see a, a team try to do it. Um, I'm assuming there will be no fakes of these or trick plays. I'm assuming both teams have to know what's happening. And I, and um, but, I like but it's the, certainly... the caveat as well. I'm sorry for interrupting. I like the caveat too, where yeah, I no, say if you get a penalty, if you if you elect to go for the fourth and fifteen, you get a penalty. You don't get to choose to kick it anymore. You have to now you have to do a fourth and twenty. Ah, I love it. I love it because it's just yeah, it's, no, I, it adds so many new dynamics exciting, to the game. For sure. It's so fun. The sky so, judge proposal. Wait, can the, we just stay with this for one second? Yeah, go, go. What were you saying? The onside recovery percentage was. It was, I think it was lower than 5%. Okay, on, on NFLOps.com, which looks to be an NFL-affiliated site, the 4th and 15th percentage is around 15%. So, wow. yeah. do, do we think... There you go. Makes the game more interesting, for sure. But there's a reason why you're down two scores and there's three minutes left in, fourth, in the fourth quarter of a game, right? So do we think that that, in any way, shape, or form, makes it too easy to come back and potentially make the game competitive? Or we don't have that worry? No. no fourth I mean, 4th and 15. Yeah, that's still hard. That's still really... And the risk is huge. The risk is huge on your own 25. You're essentially giving the team three points if you don't get it because of the field goal. They'd be able to kick there. So I I don't think so. I think really really all it does is add. I'm very curious, though, if this happens. You know, we just saw this whole rule proposal with the pass interference challenging how it changed nothing, even though most fans were like, finally. So I'm very curious. If this happens... How many times are we going to see it done, and how many times will it work? Because the, not not like not only is it hard to get 15 yards in one play, regardless, but the team knows like the team knows exactly the line you're trying to get to. So defenses will be able to stack the defensive backfield. So I'm curious to see how I'm many gonna times it'll actually I'm going to say it work. doesn't happen often, but it's converted more times than we think it will be. Is my yeah, thought? I would agree. I have with a that. feeling teams will make a concerted effort to draw up at least three or four really nice Absolutely. trick plays or something yeah. for that specific situation to launch there, just like there are oh, trick yeah. onside kick plays. You put, you put all, I think we'll you, see it. you put 10 guys at that line. Put 10 guys yeah, at that it, line, scatter Defenses and offenses yeah. will both have specific packages for this play. But uh, so like I was getting to this, this, this two sky, sky judge rule. I, this is like, this is a rule where I'm like, wh- why not? Like, please, please do it because there are so many times per, per every single game where fans are watching the game and they're like, how did the refs not see that? And so to have the sky judge rule, I think would be phenomenal. The XFL had a really interesting kink to it where they where they let fans hear the conversation between the sky judge and the ref. I don't know if the NFL would go that far in terms of transparency. They've never been super transparent with their referee and rule type situations. Um, but I would love to see a sky judge. I'm curious as to what they'd be able to overturn also. Would it be just penalties? Would it be um, any sort of uh, ball placement or, or things like that? But to make the game more fairly officiated, it seems like a no-brainer to me. 100%, I agree. Why not? Because I don't want to just agree for the sake of agreeing, and I don't want to just disagree for the sake of disagreeing, but I do agree with you. I think it's why not. It's going to make the game better. It's going to make it the, the way that the calls are on the field is going to make them more accurate. So why not? Right, we we've seen a Is it lot of slow down the game at all. Do we think, or do we not have that concern? Probably. I mean, but that's, I, I mean, that's a fair th- concern. Yeah, but I don't like how much slower are we going to see, or how much involvement are we going to see from these individuals? Right. I don't think it's going to slow down drastically. Right. It's not going to go from a three and a half hour game to a four game, a four hour game. 
but I think a couple minutes here and there, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be totally noticeable, especially if, if they're making the right calls, then, then I just going to be okay with it. I always draw parallels to the NBA, and I know it's a totally different sport, but I just think it's important to note that with the referee changes that have happened there in the last few years, the games have gotten considerably longer, and fans have gotten considerably less patient with how much the refs intervene. And the same was even argued with these pass interference calls. It made the game a little bit longer, and people started to get a little frustrated and antsy, especially those in the stadium. I Just to go on the record, I love this proposal. I'm also in the why not camp. I think it makes the game better. I think it potentially makes the game a little safer with calls going the right way and a little bit more of a watchful eye on it. Um, but I know that people were a little bit concerned with adding two more eyes uh, would potentially slow down the flow of the game. So I, I agree. I think that's a really legitimate concern. But two things. One, if these Sky, if these sky judges have, have the authority to have the final say on a call, then you're not going to have these situations where the refs are sitting there for 10 minutes in their little huts talking to New York, trying to figure out what the call is. The sky judge will say, this is the call, this is it, and, and that's the end of it. If they have that kind of authority, I think maybe even for certain parts it speeds up the game. Also, what the XFL did, if the NFL was willing to do it, where fans could hear the conversation, I think would make that slow... It hurries slowing- them up. It, hurry- it, it, it hurries them up, but it also then you're not so bored just watching yeah, no, and listening sure. to the announcers trying to banter over whether or not they think the call should be overturned or can not. You, you're actually getting to hear what's going on, and it makes it interesting. Can you imagine? You're like at a bar, or you're with friends or whatever, and you're talking about what you do for work, and one person is a doctor or one person is whatever, and someone goes, you know, I'm a sky judge. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's a that's pretty a cool, cool job title. That's a cool title to have on your resume yeah, there, or on LinkedIn. There aren't many. Sky there aren't many like that. There are not many. That's for sure. Okay, let's get into divisional breakdowns. Uh, as I said, we're in our fourth week. We're talking NFC North. Um, so we're going to actually start uh, out in Green Bay. There's obviously been a lot of stuff and in terms of news with Green Bay, given their draft and free agency. And Anyway, so Nick, I'll hand it off to you. Talk to us about Green Bay, their additions, their draft. So Green Bay, uh, you know, we got to start with last year, right? They finished 13-3 and going, uh, finishing it on top of the division um, and, you know, and winning a playoff game, right? So, But they are obviously still need to make some changes if they really wanted to push and uh, potentially compete for the Super Bowl. Uh, and I think my biggest problem with Green Bay is that I don't – if you look at their moves that they made over the offseason, both in free agency and in the draft, I don't know if they necessarily did that, right? Let's. I, I want to start with the draft because that's been getting a lot of – talk recently right ever since the Packers took Jordan Love with their first pick it's kind of been one of those conversations where we don't know how this is going to affect that quarterback room right Justin was talking about how awesome the quarterback room in uh in New York is going to be for the Jets we don't know what it's going to be like in Green Bay and I know that Rodgers has come out saying that he's willing to help teach and he's willing to help work with Jordan Love to get him better but I don't know if there's going to be any type of tension or if Rodgers is going to, you know, what this is going to do for the team. We just don't know. And I think another issue that we have to consider is they didn't go out and get him a weapon at that spot in the first round, right? Obviously, they have um, obviously they have Devontae Adams, and who's a, a top-tier receiver in the league. But then there's a significant drop-off between their one, two, and then three receivers, right? They'll have Alan Lazard, Devin Funches, who came over. Uh, but Devin Funches obviously didn't have the greatest of careers coming over, so we don't really know what he's going to do. I do have to say that the Packers have the best probably named receivers in the game with Equanimius St. Brown and Marquez Valdez Scantling. Can't even say it. Um, so I just... Yeah, you know, you nailed those. That, that was good. good. That was, I'm impressed. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just taking a stab at it. So I, I think that my biggest concern, and this is interesting when you think about Packers 
teams over the last 10 years, I think my biggest concern is their offense because their defense actually was really, really good last year. Uh, they do lose Blake Martinez to the Giants, which I think is, you know, a big deal because he was a better coverage linebacker than Christian Kirksey, who they brought in to replace him. But they still have Zadarius Smith. And uh, there was just an article that was put out uh, on NFL.com to talk about the most disruptive players last season and Zadarius Smith was actually the second most disruptive player in the entire league um so they they have him on one side rushing right he had 13 and a half sacks great year uh and then you got Preston Smith who has 12 sacks had 12 sacks last year so I think there's a lot the the defense it, it looked like an entirely new defense it looked like finally the Packers realized that they needed to spend some of their time in the offseason focusing on a defense that could help Aaron Rodgers, but they just, by doing that, they completely ignored the offense. And I'm just, I'm very concerned about the offense going forward because I just don't know if there are enough true weapons for Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Jones, obviously a, a fine running back. They got A.J. Dillon um, in the draft. I think there's some good pieces there, but there's a lot of unknown with the receiving cord behind Devontae Adams, and we don't know what this offensive line is going to be like, especially with uh, Brian Bulaga leaving. The Packers, the thing about Aaron Rodgers is he's always been able to make his weapons seem much better than they are, but you're right, they finally had a chance to surround him with the talent necessary because the defense was taken care of, and they chose not to do that, which was obviously disappointing. It almost seems as though Matt LaFleur is trying to transition this team as Rodgers is aging to a defense-happy ground-and-pound attack. That's why it seemed like he drafted A.J. Dillon, but obviously, clearly, that doesn't seem to be making the use, it doesn't seem like he's making the use of his talent he has at quarterback, and it's that that's a head scratcher and, to and me. And when you have to compete against these teams who are throwing the ball a bajillion times a game, you know, the running game is awesome, but you just, you're going to have to put the ball in the air at some point. And you've got the quarterback, the quarterback isn't the problem. Although he did have a little bit of a for on a Rodgers level, he was a little bit down in his in his numbers last year, but he's still Aaron Rodgers. And until he takes a significant step back, if I'm the Packers front office, I'm going to try and get him as many weapons as I can get him and sure up that offensive line. They did a little bit in the, of that in the draft, but I just I, I, there are so many question marks on the offense. And I think that's just so interesting because it's never the case of the Packers. It's always where's their defense at because their defense has historically, or at least in the last decade, been next to terrible now this year it's going to be great but their offense is the question mark i just don't i just don't know how this is all going to play out in a hyper competitive division and a hyper competitive conference really no exactly when your best tight end is mercedes lewis and your second best receiver is devin funches then like, like that that really right you mercedes lewis is still playing i didn't even know He's, that uh, it's like 35 36 and their next best tight end is jay sternberger who 36. i don't know i don't know if jay sternberger even caught a pass last year I think, I think he's going into his second year now. So, you know, potentially fantasy sleeper there if he surpasses Mercedes Lewis since there's no one else to catch passes. I'm glad, I'm glad Nick brought this up. This is going to be a really competitive division. It's going to be crazy. Like, even, you know, I think Nick's point really hits home when we're talking about what's going to happen with the offense this year. I mean, it's just, it's sort of hard to know. Um, this team has looked like, it's gone from looking like a bubble Super Bowl team to a bubble playoff team in the past few years. It's kind of vacillated. Um so I, I think that that's really, really solid. And I, I don't know. I'm excited to see what, what happens on the offensive side of the ball, especially as Aaron Rodgers comes to, as we love to say, the back nine of his career. Um, Nick, I don't know if you wanted to finish with something. I, I sort of cut you off there. No, no, no. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've said all I need to say. Thank you. Excellent. Okay, let's talk Bears. Um, as I'm sure some of you know, I'm originally from Chicago, so um, I'm sort of a uh, – 
I'm a Dolphins fan at heart because I've grown up here, but but still have some Bears in my blood. So I want to just touch on a couple of draft um, choices that I thought were interesting and then get into the meat of the discussion, which I think lies at the quarterback position in Chicago, as it has for the past couple of years. Um, the Bears drafted uh, with their second round pick because, of course, they had no first round pick uh, as they traded that uh, in the Khalil Mack trade. Um, they drafted Notre Dame tight end Cole Kmet uh, with the 43rd overall pick. They now have nine tight ends at um, – or nine – people at the tight end position, um, which nobody needs. But I think that it's going to provide, at least for them, some depth in terms of choosing who makes those final spots at the tight end position and perhaps maybe add some depth on special teams. They also drafted with the number 226th pick, uh, Colorado offensive guard Arlington Hambright. Um, This is a really nice first. uh, first. This is a really nice late-round pick just because he has a lot of upside for that position, and that was a need for them as well. Um, And the reason why it was such a need and will continue to be a need is because there's some question at quarterback. Now, the biggest move the Bears made in the offseason was trading for Nick Foles. Um, this This was a big, big story. And the reason mainly in the beginning... Um, was because of two things. The first was the available um, competition, call it. You had Cam Newton, who was and still is available, and we'll we'll save the Cam Newton talk for later, as we like to do. You also had Teddy Bridgewater, um, who fans in Chicago really wanted. Um, And then there were even some reports that they might sign him, and then he ended up signing with Carolina for like 60 million bucks. So then it came down to um, Foles and Andy Dalton, who are two quarterbacks who have, in their careers, both looked like like pro bull caliber guys and backups. Um, And so they end up going with Nick Foles. Now, at first, this deal was called one of the worst moves in free agency because of Nick Foles' relatively albatross-level contract for his level of play. Um, But there was some really interesting restructuring that happened here. His $21 million in guaranteed money, instead of being paid right out front, like the $30-plus million was in Jacksonville, is spread over three years. And then his base salary was cut from more than like 15 million bucks a year to four, meaning that his cap hit this year is about five and a third million dollars, which is ridiculous if he's a starter and not even so bad if he's a backup. And so the reason why I love this Nick Foles move is because people love playing for Nick Foles. People rally around him. They did in Philadelphia. They were going to in Jacksonville until he got hurt, of course. Um, And I think that this Bears team, with all of the talent they have, is poised to make a splash. I don't think they're going to be the best in the division, and I won't spoil those picks. We'll get to them later. But Trubisky, as I think we can all agree, is not the answer in Chicago. I think in a different team, perhaps, uh, with a fresh start, he has the the goods to make good on what his projection was. I still think it was a ridiculous pick in that draft to go and get him. Um, but I love Foles on this team, and I think it's going to be if he can stay healthy, which, of course, is what we hope for every NFL player. Um, I think it's going to be really good for them. It's also really interesting that this isn't his first experience with Matt Nagy, um, who's now, of course, the Bears head coach. When he was the Chiefs offensive coordinator, Foles came back into football to back up Alex Smith at that position. So he actually has some exposure to this offensive scheme. And then when you talk about what what else they've done in this offseason, they added Danny Trevathan uh, for about $21 million. They added Robert Quinn on the edge um, with a pretty large contract, but I think that really still shores up some holes. The only real thing that I thought they didn't do so great in the offseason in terms of free agents, there were two. Um, you signed Jimmy Graham for $16 million over two years. Now, Jimmy Graham was once a long, long time ago one of the league's best tight ends, but he's looked pretty terrible. 
Um, since he left Seattle, he looked awful in Green Bay. Um, and then you lose HaHa Clinton Dix, um, which was odd because he was easily one of the 20 most valuable safeties in the league. Um, in spite of that, I think this team is poised to do well next year, and I hope that Nick Foles pans out, as people have been thinking he would after his departure from Philadelphia, to be a franchise quarterback for this team. There were the the couple of the the last notes you hit there. First of all, that Robert Quinn deal certainly shored up a need in terms of of having a solid pass rusher opposite uh, Khalil Mack. But the contract terms, I mean, seventy million for five years. The guy's already thirty and has had injury problems in the past. He had a nice little resurgence there with with Dallas. Uh, so th- that that I think is a good move in terms of if if Quinn can stay healthy. For this year and next year, and if maybe even win the now. year after, exactly. yeah, totally then agree. then then it'll be a helpful move. The dead cap hit um, certainly decreases considerably after these next two years, so that could be a valuable move should he remain healthy, which has always been a huge question mark. You're right, Jimmy Graham, just a head scratching signing there, especially with the number of tight ends they have on the roster. And well, that's just Cole it. That was the that was the most strange part to me. Is exactly. Like, what do you? I just I thought that was it, very that was an odd. He's so so far past his prime. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about Foles' experience with Matt Nagy and in this COVID-19 world we're living in right now where no one could be on the football field and learn the offense tangibly. Uh, that could be a huge a huge factor to Nick Foles potentially starting week one because he, he pretty much knows the playbook. Obviously, it's not the same as it was in Kansas City because Matt Nagy is, is a different a different coach now in, in Chicago and obviously wouldn't pull everything right out of there, the, you know, different terminology and all that. Um, but Nick Foles could be he he could be starting week one, and I don't even think he'd have a shot to start week one if he had no familiarity with the offense at all. Yeah, I completely agree, and, and I think I think the success of the Bears, like we've talked about, like the two of you talked about, it comes down to the quarterback because their defense is very good. And talking about the Robert Quinn deal, you know, it's a it's a huge amount of money, but that same article that I was reading earlier today talking about Zadarius Smith as the second most disruptive pass rusher in the game last year, Robert Quinn was third, uh, and finishing with eleven and a half sacks, he had a really good season last year, opposite Demarcus Lawrence, right? And if you know, we can talk about who's better, Demarcus Lawrence or Khalil Mack, but you got to think that that defense is going to get after people next year. They've got a very good defense. Uh, they just need to make sure that they their offense can kind of fire on all cylinders. And work. I, it, work, more Probably. or less work, right? And and when Trubisky had a decent year, right, they went, what was it, 2018? They went 12-4, and four, right? That was two years ago. They had a, they did well. Uh, last year they finished 8-8. Eight and eight. It, really, it really comes down to that, that – um, that quarterback spot. And I think bringing in Nick Foles is a great idea because Justin, you said it, we, it's going to be harder to implement uh, playbooks than ever before with the world that we live in. So why not go ahead and get a guy who, uh, who knows what's going on a little bit better? Why not? It can't, it can't hurt you more than what you got. I think Trubisky's time in Chicago is coming to its inevitable conclusion. Um, and, and I can see uh, Foles kind of taking over and leading this team. And I think they will be better. They got to sure up, a couple of offensive weapons. I'm not thrilled. If you look at their depth chart, uh, you can't be thrilled with their running backs or their receiver core outside of Allen Robinson. But um, if they can, if they can elevate the level of their skill position players, I think they, I think they have a good shot at de- being decent next year. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I think that whether or not uh, Nick Foles is able to come in and and be the Foles that he was in, in Philadelphia will be that. That determining factor. Um, moving on to the Vikings here, this is a, this is a team that 
again, in this very uh, competitive division, should be ready to compete again. Um, they lost, the Vikings lost a lot of pieces, but unfortunately, they just didn't have the cap space to retain everyone. Um, so you had Trey Waynes go and get this massive deal, cornerback Trey Waynes uh, with Cincinnati. They shipped Stephon Diggs and his rich contract off to Buffalo for a first-round pick. Everson Griffin is still out there as a free agent, and that could again be a potential reunion, as we've talked about before, coming back to the Vikings, but certainly at a lower dollar value. Um, Mackenzie Alexander followed Trey Waynes over to Cincinnati, I believe, uh, move over there to the, to the AFC North. They cut Xavier Rhodes, so that's three of their top cornerbacks from last season's roster gone. And then Linval Joseph, um, veteran um, stalwart at, at defensive tackle, is now over with uh, the Chargers. So that's a lot of key players, especially on that defense, and of course Diggs on offense, who are not with the team anymore. And so that you could, you could your immediate reaction would, of course, be, well, this is a far less talented roster, and now maybe in this um, relatively stacked division, not quite ready to, to take the crown from the Packers. But the Vikings had a lot of draft picks, and so despite the fact that they didn't bring in huge names in free agency, they had about, I think it was 14 picks in the draft, and they made the most of those. They got Justin Jefferson, a lot of picks. They got Justin Jefferson in round one, a receiver who a lot of people thought would go just a pick before to Philadelphia. Um, and Justin Jefferson, by all accounts, is 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 pretty much NFL ready at this point, providing he can pick up the playbook. He's a very polished receiver already. So a nice number two compliment there to Adam Thielen. They replaced. Uh, they really did a good job at replacing the corners that they lost. They got Jeff Gladney, great value at the very I think the very end of round one. They picked up uh, Cameron Dantzler in round three, and then Harrison Hand in round five. So Dantzler and Hand might not be starting right out of the gate, but guys that are ready to come in and help shore up that defense as soon as possible. And James Lynch went in round four to uh, out of Baylor. I thought Lynch might have gone uh, maybe even up to two rounds higher. Round two might have been a bit rich, but I think that's a really nice pick, able to replace uh, Linval Joseph there, hopefully as soon as possible. Um, and then offensive line, which previously in the past couple years not as much last year had been a huge problem for the vikings they picked up ezra cleveland um in round two so I, I thought the vikings had a stellar draft lost a lot of guys in free agency but a lot of guys coming in so if dalvin cook can remain healthy and continue to motor that offense um with kirk cousins there being the complimentary guy with his weapons and adam thielen justin jefferson and then solid tight ends and kyle rudolph and irv smith I, i'm really I'm excited about this Vikings team, and I don't think they'll be falling off that much despite the loss of talent. Um, and Mike Zimmer has shown time and time again that he's a capable coach, able to put all the pieces together. Um, it's just going to be whether or not these new pieces on defense, especially those corners out of the draft, can gel and play relatively quickly. That, that'll be... That'll be the key for making sure their, sec their secondary doesn't necessarily uh, fall off a cliff on the, on the boundary. Right. No, I completely agree. Uh, you know, the... Uh... I really hate I really hate that when we talk about all these different teams, we always have to talk about whether or not the quarterback is going to have a good year and that will ultimately lead them to success. This is one of those situations where I think they have such a good running back and such a good running game that the Vikings, if Kirk Cousins isn't great, which, you know, we've seen kind of ups and downs throughout his career. If he isn't great, I think this team could thrive. Um, you know, if if Dalvin Cook can, like you said, stay healthy and, and produce at the same level that we know he can produce at, I think he could run this team into the playoffs. Now, the problem is I think that a lot of these teams got better, and I don't know if the Vikings overall 
got better. They may have, they may be better down the road, but I don't think moving from 2019 to 2020, I don't know if the moves that they made got them better. And when you look at other teams in the division, you look at other teams in the conference that did get better. I just, you know, losing Stefan Diggs is going to hurt them. It really is going to hurt them, uh, especially right out the gate because you said it yourself. They, everyone's got to gel first. And unfortunately, sometimes gelling takes a few games. And if they stumble out of the gate, they go, you know, one and three to start the year. It, it could it could potentially doom their playoff hopes. That's the thing. They're going to be needing some of these these rookies to start pretty quickly. And as we've spoken about more than once in this episode and certainly more than once on this podcast, there's no real training camp going on right, right. now, at least not at the moment. Right. Things are starting to open up a little bit more. But without these guys being able to get on the field and meet each other and, you know, that gelling, I think, for, for fans, it's sometimes hard to – hard to relate to and you know we've 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 heard this from guys on NFL Network and on other podcasts like the Pat McAfee show how much how much gelling in the locker room matters how much sort of becoming part of the group matters when these guys are putting everything on the line for each other and so with these rookies who are going to need to come in and start out of the gate or at least play significant roles not being able to sort of bond that way and certainly not being able to have the experience on the practice field I think could certainly matter for this Vikings team. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I do have to say that I think the best, when you look at all their moves, I think the best move that they made was uh, getting rid of Xavier Rhodes because Xavier Rhodes, he, he such a touted guy coming out of college, but he was just, he was not good at covering people last year. So it's a good thing. No, certainly not the past couple no, of years. He, he, had had a couple, he had a couple right, of those. Right. He had a couple of really good years where he was the, the whole Rhodes closed kind of thing. He took his own own version of Revis Island there with Rhodes closed. Um, but it, it only lasted. It only lasted. A, yeah, the roads. The roads two, opened up real quick. Top. We had. We had. The roads opened up. We real had a lot quick, of heavy congestion on them roads for a very long time. All right, so let's uh, let's round out the division. Jumping uh, to the f- wait. Go. There was no congestion on the roads. Oh yeah. They well, were no, open. They, they were no, open. They were the wide idea, open. The idea was that everybody gets to come in, right? Everybody was on the roads. Uh, uh, if, if you have to explain it, it doesn't work. I'm sorry. I wish we could cut that out. So back to the Lions. Uh, so the Lions, I think, are such an interesting team going into this year. Um, obviously, this is Matt Patricia's third year as the coach of the team. Um, and he has not had the most <laughs> successful of times when it comes to um, coaching this team as they've generally been poor the past two years um a lot of that is injury concern a lot of that is building kind of like going through a a little bit of a mini rebuild that they started to go through under under uh, patricia's first term as as the coach um so it's kind of one of those years where it's win or lose your job for matt patricia i really think that if they don't have a considerably better year this year they're screwed or he's screwed at least i don't know about the lions but he is definitely screwed uh and they're gonna be looking for a new coach and i think they actually did a lot of really good things this year that can put them in position to actually be significantly better than they were last year and i think that starts with matthew stafford being healthy right if, if stafford can be healthy you know listen stafford is not an all pro stud amazing quarterback but he is a good quarterback and good quarterbacks are sometimes hard to find in this league so if we can keep him healthy or if they can keep him healthy i think that's going to help this team out tremendously and keep patricia's job now when it comes to who they lost in you know when it comes to free agency and who they brought in i actually think their draft 
was awesome. I think what they did with their first two rounds, bringing in Jeff Okuda and bringing in DeAndre Swift, I think those were incredible moves. Um, you know, Jeff Okuda is, was by far the top cornerback in the draft, replacing Darius Slay, who they traded. Um, you pair him with Desmond Trufant, who they also brought in uh, in in free agency. I think that's going to be a very good cornerback duo, right? Everyone talks about how in Miami, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are probably one of the better quarterback duos in the league. You Watch out for Trufant and Okuda. I think that's going to be very good. Um, you know, when it comes to – they brought in Duran Harmon, um, again, another great, uh, very solid uh, defensive back for them. They also made a couple of questionable moves, right? So bringing in, um, oh God, I'm going to butcher this name, Halapulavati Hala Vatai for what was a big deal, right? Five years. Happy. That was pretty good, right? Um, that, that's that, that was that was that's, that was harder than Noah Igbenogi. Yeah, that that, was there's a lot. There's just so many. Why are there so many vowels? I just don't understand. I don't know how to approach that. It just throws me off. Anyway, five years, fifty million. That's a lot of money for a guy who is decent at run blocking. Not very good at uh, at pass protection, so that's a lot of money for a guy. We don't know that they don't know what they're going to really get out of him. But I think one of the more questionable things they did was bringing in Jamie Collins. And Jamie Collins, obviously, it makes sense bringing him in because uh, it seems that anybody who coached in New England always wants to get New England players to come play for them when they go and get their shot as a head coach. Um, he could be really good, right? When he was in New England, he was very good. Um, he was, you know, one of the better pass rushers and linebackers in the league. And then he went to Cleveland, and he kind of sucked so it really we just don't know right it's one of those like really high risk but high reward type of plays so we'll kind of see how that goes but I really think that especially offensively I just think that if you look at this roster I think there's a lot to really be excited about in in ways that maybe Detroit fans haven't been excited about uh, for a, for a very long time right bringing Stafford back giving Swift you got uh, you've got a competent group of receivers in Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, uh, Danny Amendola, right? I think Quintez Cephas is a guy who could help this team down the road. I don't know if he's going to break into the starting unit right away, but he was a guy who went in the fifth round. People said he should have been like a third rounder, so there's some at least value there. We get TJ Hawkinson involved a little bit more. That'll help this team out. I, I think that this is – I think that Matt Patricia finally has the best roster to give him the best chance at success. Now putting it all together is different than having on paper, a good roster. Nick, you and I have agreed in this episode more than I think any episode yeah. prior. And I'm going to, I don't like it. I'm going to continue disgusting. that here. I, 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 <laughs> I, I love, I really do like, I was going to say love. I'm not quite sure I'm there yet, but I really do like this lions offense. Um, Stafford, I don't. He's never gotten enough credit over in Detroit, mostly because of the fact that the Lions haven't been. He very can't good win under football games. Tenure, which, he can't win football yes, games. Yes, of course, and that matters a lot. But over the past, uh, over the 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 past season, so the the first, I think he played eight games before. Um, I'm pulling up his stats now. He played eight games before he had that back injury. He was on pace for 5,000 yards, and he had 19 touchdowns to five interceptions. He was playing really quality football. Now, they weren't winning enough games. They, they just, that they simply weren't. And that, of course, goes on the quarterback. But there were other problems on that team uh, that, that were preventing them from winning those games. And this offense that he has now, a really good running back duo in Swift and Karrion Johnson. And I'm comfortable saying that because I, I am very confident that Swift will transition well into the NFL. And a very capable group of receivers. Galladay is a is a really solid number one wide receiver. 
Marvin Jones is a, is a really solid number two wide receiver, and Danny Amendola is, of course, very capable in the slot. Um, he has been his whole career, and, I, and I'm really excited about TJ Hawkinson. There's a lot of talent there. Let me ask uh, you guys, block, ask you guys can, a question. It's Matt Patricia's third year? Yeah. Right? What does Matt Patricia, what do, the, what do the Lions have to do? Because I, I agree with you, Justin. I think Stafford is wildly underrated. I think people who really watch Detroit football know that he is an excellent quarterback in spite of the fact that the team hasn't won. And I think, to Nick's point, the team just hasn't really been around him to have an organization that's conducive to success. But it's his third year. It's time. What do we think the Lions have to do this year for him to stay the head coach in the following season? Oh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. So, uh Trevor and I, we have a mutual friend, Detroit Lions fan. Shout out, shout out to Sean. We were talking to Sean earlier, um, and so I, I thought, I think, I thought it was playoff or bust for for Matt Patricia, and I really do still think that. Sean, who's been a Lions fan his his whole life, seems to think that given given the current ownership of the team and how patient they've been with coaches in the past, that an improved season, like an eight and eight season, would be enough to keep Patricia in place. I don't think that that. Is, is how the thought process should go. It seems that the players, based on what happened after uh, Darius Slay left and the things we've heard about Matt Patricia, that he's not gelling with the players the way he should be. Um, all of that is talk in the media, so who really knows? Um, but I think it should be playoff or bust based on this current roster. I want to say playoff or bust. I really do. But, I, you know, I think that Patricia's had a, a pretty terrible roster the last few years. I if they win, if they have a winning record but miss the playoffs, I think he'll get another year. So if they go nine and seven, but they miss the playoffs, I think he'll be around for next year. I think that's a perfectly articulated point as we transition into our rankings because I'm sure we're all sort of on the same page here, just about. This is a really tough division, and so if we're talking playoff or bust, that doesn't just mean doing well macro level; it means doing well in this division. So Nick, let's just see and start with you. What do we have, not just the Lions, but all four teams doing in terms of their ranking this season? So this is this is going to be a great division to watch some football in, right? Especially when you think about the divisional matchups all throughout the year. This is going to be a good, good division. Um, top to bottom, like if we look at some of the other divisions we covered, um, it's, it's pretty clear that even the worst team here might be better than some of the second teams in, in the other divisions. So I'll start from the bottom. We'll go to the top. So I'm going to, I'm going to put the bears at the bottom. You know, I just, I think there's so much uncertainty with that, with the quarterback spot. I think that they just don't, they don't have a whole lot of weapons um, on offense. I think they need to improve some of those things. And uh, until they figure that out, I don't see them overtaking anybody else. So I'm going to have the bears at four. And here's where things I think are going to get a little interesting for some people. I'm going to put the Vikings at three. Uh, I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back. And I and I do th- my concerns about it when we broke them down about not gelling fast enough. I think it's going to take some time for some of these young rookies to play well. So I'm going to put the, the Vikings at three. I'm going to say that the Lions will be the second team here uh, with – uh, Matt Patricia securing at least one more season. And then I'm going to go with the Packers winning the division. Uh, obviously, I made my concerns about Green Bay very clear, but Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers, and he has this ability. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks I've ever watched play. He's just got this uncanny ability to just do things well with the football. I think the Packers will take the division for a second year in a row. Second, or at least two, this year as well. So I... I really, I think that the, all of these teams are capable of having a winning record, and I don't know if you could say that about any other division um, in the NFL. I think these are all very talented rosters. I have the Bears at four, with a slight caveat. I think if Nick Foles starts out of the gate, 
and plays well and gets on a roll, as we've seen he's capable of doing when he had a very talented roster over in Philly, I think this Bears team could be fighting for a playoff spot. And with the expanded playoff rules, I think all of these teams could be fighting for, for a playoff spot down the road. Now, the Vikings and Lions I was going back and forth with, what it came down to for me is the fact that I simply trust Mike Zimmer and the Vikings more than I do the Lions. Uh, I think the Vikings, I, I really, I'm hoping that with all of these draft picks that they brought in, if enough of them click, this roster could continue to roll, that the defense will still do well enough, and that they'll just, they're just going to ride Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison into the playoffs. So I have Bears 4, uh, Lions 3, Vikings 2, and then I still have the Packers on top, simply because after what we saw last year and with Aaron Rodgers being that quarterback, um, despite the fact that they didn't surround him with enough weapons, the defense is there. Uh, I think the Packers take the crown again. So I think that the Lions have definitely done interesting things this offseason. And I really do like Matt Stafford. But I don't love Matt Patricia in terms of the job he's done, in spite of the fact that the team hasn't been very good around him. I just don't believe that with this level of competition and their schedule that they're going to play particularly well this year. So I have them at that number four spot. Now, my number three team is a little bit controversial. I have the Vikings at number three. And the reason why I have the Vikings at number three is mostly because I I think the Stefan Diggs trade is going to be a bit more impactful than people think it is. I love that they drafted Justin Jefferson. I think he's going to pan out. I don't know how that's going to translate to this year. Um, and I think the defense was good. I think they'll still be good. I don't think they'll be quite as good um, as next year comes on. But most of all, I just think it's going to be because I think it's because it's going to be really close between the Bears and the Vikings. And I really think these two teams can flip flop. But I really love the idea of Nick Foles starting week one as a Chicago Bear. And I have to say, as Justin did similarly, my proviso here is that Nick Foles starts week one for the Bears. That doesn't happen. The order here changes. But I think with Nick Foles under center, I think with what they did this offseason, um, and I, you know, with, with a coach who I actually really like, I think he has potential to do really great things in this league with a quarterback who matches up well with him. I think we're going to see that marriage play out really nicely. And so I think that, I think that as the season wanes, and I think as Justin was saying, you know, riding Dalvin Cook for the season, I don't think that's going to translate as well as it might in the first three weeks, in the last three weeks. And I think that's what it's going to come down to for these two teams. Um, so I like the Bears at number two if full starts. And then I think it's a no-brainer with the Packers at number one. I think I think in spite of the fact that they didn't draft him any offensive weaponry of note in this draft, I think Rodgers is really hungry. I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what he can do this year. I think for – I don't know if it's the first time in his career. It's probably, if not the first, the second with – the chip on his shoulder in terms of coming in after Brett Favre. I think there's something to prove here. I think Aaron Rodgers is a scary, scary guy when he's out there really looking to make some moves. And so I like the Packers at number one. And I like the Packers even to make some significant headway in the playoffs. I agree with you. I think I think the chip on the shoulder just got a lot bigger, uh, especially with Jordan Love coming in there. I think I think the Packers are going to do some interesting things next year. Yeah, I mean, remember remember that whole situation with the R-E-L-A-X when he was telling everyone to relax and no one thought the Packers were going to be able to run the table, and they ran the table. Uh, the guy, the guy, when he when he gets angry, he's Trevor's Trevor's right. He's scary. Oh, yeah. Um, and you were talking about still in those quarterbacks. We're talking about the Trubisky Foles situation. The reason I think I still had had the Bears at the bottom is because I'm not so convinced Foles is going to start Week One. I, I they, totally hear that. They put a lot of draft capital into Trubisky. You know, they have a lot riding on Trubisky's success. So if they were smart, and and I think that I think you put Foles in Week One, but I'm not so totally convinced that that's actually going to happen okay crazy question of the week uh we talked a little bit about this in the pre-show 
we we talked about Joe Flacco in the very beginning of this podcast, and I hate to cast aspersions on any quarterback, certainly a Super Bowl winning quarterback, but that's what we do at Pick Up the Blitz. And so my my thought has always been that Joe Flacco has been sort of at the top of the list of certainly the least accomplished or worst quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. But there was some sort of discord as to who is really at the very top of that list. And so I just want to give it to you guys. If my pick is Joe Flacco as the worst Super Bowl winning quarterback, let's say of the last three decades or so, um, who are you guys going with at that spot? That's it's so I definitely don't think Flacco is the worst. I would have to say it's got to be it's got to be either Brad Johnson when he won with the Bucks or Trent Dilfer when he won with the Ravens because Trent Dilfer, you know, I don't think Trent Dilfer had a good year, like a really good quality year his entire career. Um and I think he just rode that those legendary Baltimore defenses uh to these championships. Um you know, I. It's hard. I would say Brad Johnson. That's my. It's hard. Brad Johnson or Trent Dilfer. It's hard, and you made a really good point. When we were talking earlier before we started recording. Are we talking about that year that they won? Right, because then the conversation gets a lot more complicated. You can talk about someone like say Peyton Manning, as we discussed right. on Denver, who just looked horrific, or is it sort of an aggregate? If you take an average of how good they were, like say if Trent Dilfer was sort of average his career. Joe Flacco had a lot of high lows. How do we? It, it's sort of hard to delineate what was, you know, who was better than the other. Um, so you're what you're taking Brad Johnson as your guy? Uh, sure. I, I think I think you can make an argument for him or Dilfer. I'll go Brad Johnson. Why not? So the reason I, now it's kind of easy because you left Dilfer for me. But the reason I'm I'm very comfortable taking Dilfer is because when the team when when you win a Super Bowl and then you're not on the team next year, the very next season, sure. a few months later, you're not even on the same team. Even the team knows that they didn't win because of you. And, and you know, I, we're, I, I just think, I think that that's, that's all you need to know, right? That the, the guy wasn't even on the team next year. And so that's, that's my Where did he there. go that next year? What was the story there? I don't remember. Uh, uh, he went to the Seahawks in 2001. I don't remember. So they won in 2000, right? So he went to the Seahawks in 2001. And then I, I'm pretty sure he was a backup with Seattle. Who was the quarterback for Seattle in 2001? Was it Matt Hasselbeck? Was it Hasselbeck? Yes, Matt yeah. Hasselbeck. Was it Matt Hasselbeck? Matt Hasselbeck. So he then went to, he then went to backup Hasselbeck, um, who, who then got – Dilfer played because I think Hasselbeck dealt with some injuries then. But um, I think that's all you need to know. So that, that I think Dilfer's, Dilfer's my pick there. Cool. All right, we made it to an hour in the middle of May on our 10th episode. There's a lot of things to celebrate today. Um, Thank you guys all so much for joining us. We're obviously super stoked to have a lot to talk about uh, as the season sort of gets going, especially with what we're going to be, what we hope is going to be some interesting dynamics in terms of how the season will play out from COVID-19. There's still some more big free agents on the board. And of course, every week we're doing our divisional breakdown series. So we'll be posting all of these results on our Pick Up the Blitz Twitter page. Um, So please be sure to follow there. Uh, Once again, on behalf of Nick, Justin, and myself, thank you so, so much for joining us. We uh, sincerely appreciate you spending a little bit of your Monday with us. And we'll see you on the next one, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers.